This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, Georgie, check for Dadsy, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. <laughs> only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery free in terms supply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Forestieri, here's Hogg, Dini! Do not scratch your eyes, do not scratch your eyes, do not scratch your eyes. Welcome to the Do Not Scratch Your Eyes podcast. My name is Justin and I'm Carl. And we're joined by a very, very special guest this evening. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Wright is here. Hey, Nicky Wright, Wright, Wright. Love it. How are you, Nick? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Doing all right, mate. Not bad at all. So, uh, Nick, firstly, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Much appreciated. Um, allegedly, I don't know if you know, but you scored quite an important goal for us at Wembley once upon a time. And there's there's a few people, you've probably been asked many times, but there's a few Watford supporters that uh, wanted us to um, to ask you about that, which we will get on to. But, you know, there's, there's more to your career and, and more to uh, Nicky Wright than just one goal. So we're, we're going to build up to it and uh, try and get some experiences from, from when your time at, at Watford and, you know, the, the team then and, and so forth. So uh, there's a bit of stuff from myself um, and, and Justin. Will, well, you might chip in as well, Justin. You eh? never know. You never know. I might do, yeah. <laughs> you never know. I think it it, uh, it might be uh, good just to talk about how you came to Watford. There was a, a, a double signing, if you like, that Graham Taylor made, yourself and Alan Smart uh, from Carlisle. Um, can you tell us how it came about? Yeah, so I was at Derby at the time, um, initially, and I was desperate to play. I'd been playing in the reserve team for a while and doing well in the reserve team, but not really getting any, well, not getting any first team action, so... I was in the first team squad quite a bit at Derby, but it was at the time when Derby had quite a lot of money and spending millions of pounds on sort of, you probably remember names like Wanchop, Bio, um, yeah, Bionna, wow, yeah. uh, Igor Stimac, people like that. And at, at the time, um, young players, we, we were doing really well. as a, We did brilliantly well as a youth team, then young players in the reserves. And we actually beat a Man United reserve team, which had most of the class of 92 in it as well. Amazing. So, um, wow. that, 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 I wasn't getting in the team, so I knocked on Jim Smith's door and said, I want to go on loan. You're brave. He said, uh, no, you're in our plans. Then I waited a bit. I still didn't get any playing time was still playing well in the reses and knocked on again and he said right I know where you can go you can go to Carlisle now it was about it was November and I don't think I think he was saying right to put me off (laughs) Uh, I knew Carlisle was north I didn't realize how north I knew Carlisle was going to be cold I didn't realize how cold Um, straight away I said yeah brilliant when can I go and I think he was slightly taken aback by it to be fair but I traveled up to Carlisle the next day training was cancelled on the Thursday and the Friday so I'd not actually trained with the team before I made my debut on the Saturday for Carlisle uh, home to Bristol City Carlisle was struggling at the time we we'd got loads of young players however Bristol City were flying the beat us 3-0 um I got man of the match absolutely loved it and was so pleased with the decision I made I ended up being on loan at Carlisle initially for a month then it extended to three months then after the three months I went back to Derby and a number of Carlisle fans wrote to um Jim Smith saying oh like let us sign him type thing and 
Jim Smith invited me in and said, like, what do you think? I said, well, I want to play. I, I love playing. At the time, the club were looking at, first of all, Matt Janssen, but also Rory Dillap from oh, yeah. Carlisle. Yeah, yeah. It turned out I, I agreed to sign with Carlisle till the end of the season in part of the deal that brought Rory Dillap to Derby. Right. Now, yeah, okay. um, it worked brilliantly for me because... If um, the agreement was, if Carlisle went at the end of the season, I could leave for a pre-arranged fee, which was a hundred grand. I'd already spoken to the chairman, Michael Knighton, at um, Carlisle to have all this in writing. So if I wanted, I'd got a contract at Carlisle beyond the end of the season for two or three years. Or if not, I could go for a hundred grand. Prior to deciding, I spoke to Derby, um, Steve McLaren and Jim Smith, and they'd said I was in their plans, but it would be in the same sort of vein that it currently been. So it'd be in and around the first team squad, which at the time I was sort of about 21. And mm. it, it was very old to be making a league debut. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and once I'd had a go and sort of realised, you know what, I'm doing all right here. I just wanted to play first team football. Amazing. Um, played for Carlisle then to the end of the season and um, we came down to Watford. Um, Watford obviously going for promotion and Carlisle trying to fight off relegation. And we absolutely battered Watford at Vicarage Road in a 2-0 defeat. Right. So, <laughs> you remember that then quite clearly. <laughs> I remember it for quite a few reasons. It was... One, we went to Watford, a massive journey from Carlisle. Yeah, I, used to get, yes. I used to get picked up halfway down the road. I was living in Derby and wherever there was possible, the chairman let me get on the bus somewhere nearer. Cause at the time, place, we, we had Plymouth away. I think we played Exeter as well. And they were crazy. Oh, Carlisle to Exeter. That's got to be one of the oh, longest routes. Yeah, I think. crazy. Yeah. Um, to Plymouth, Plymouth, I think, is the longest. Yes, yeah. yeah. Something like 11-hour journey. Oh, my God, yeah, yeah. Um, but we, we played really well, and particularly in the first half, and um, had a number of chances. Alec Chamberlain, who I later became really good friends with, was having a brilliant game. And I, I was playing just off the striker, so Alan Smart was playing as main striker. I was playing sort of in and behind, running in behind, getting lots of space, making chances, and we were really unfortunate not to be ahead. Then the reason I first remember the game was at that point, Graham Taylor called one of his players over, and from then on for the rest of the game, I had a guy called Steve Palmer walking every yard of the pitch. Uh... <laughs> the first time I'd ever experienced man marking. Right. Um, it was weird. Um, I was like trying to do random things of walking around the pitch, and he just followed me. No interest in his own game. Mm. Just just it was it just stuck to on stop. you, yeah. And I'd never known that as a young player or even a sort of young pro or in the reserve. So it was a first, but it was like wow, that's massive respect for for somebody to sort of do that. And yeah, yeah, especially yeah. when they are going for promotion and we're fighting relegation, I thought it was quite a strange dynamic. Um, I say the game didn't go away. Two goals, but um, we we certainly outplayed or we thought we'd outplayed Watford. And I think Graham Taylor agreed, because as we left the pitch and went into the tunnel, outside the away dressing room, Graham Taylor was waiting for the Carlisle players and greeted us all individually and said, look, you guys didn't deserve to lose that and that type of thing. And again, that stuck with me massive. That's something that an away manager would never do. Wow. I I was out of contract. Well, I wasn't out of contract, but... I got the clause in my contract that if anybody at the end of the season was interested, I'd got a fee of a hundred grand that was already written into a contract. So um, I didn't sign ever with an agent, but I used to use one for moves just because I think it, it stops any tension before you sign for a club. You don't yeah. want to be negotiating with your next employer. No, um, no. I got an agent sort of touting my name around saying I was available and um, it aroused a number of, club's interest and I think following that game Watford were one of them so when it came to the when it came to the summer Watford were one of the teams I spoke to um I spoke to a number of others spoke to crew I spoke to Chesterfield which would have been a local team and really easy because yeah. they could yeah. have stayed however the, the experience was totally different I went to Chesterfield and I wasn't asking for a lot of money by the way and their chairman turned up in like a massive I don't know if it was a roller or something like that and <laughs> and then was sort of saying oh we we don't we don't pay a young boy of 21 sort of that sort of money. And I wasn't asking for a lot of money. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and I was like, I just said to him, so what if Wayne Rooney came in? Because he's going to be younger than that. You wouldn't pay him that. And he was like, 
just didn't really know what to say. Right. But it, it was a weird, it was a weird interview experience. Then when I went down to speak to um, Graham, totally different. He wanted to know about me as an individual, what I was looking to get out of a game, what I was hoping to achieve, that type of thing. And I asked a number of questions at the end. And one of them was, I'm signing, obviously, as a young player. You've just got promoted. If I show that I'm good enough, will I be in your team? And he just said, yeah. Right. And it was an important question because I needed it. Right. Yeah. Your experiences, what, you know, you wanted to play football and that was that was high on the yeah. agenda. Yeah. Very much so. And I was confident in my ability, but still, when you're a young player and you're trying to force into an established team mm. yeah. who've just won promotion, yeah. it's not quite straightforward. I don't think um, initially it was he was signing a player to go straight into his first team. Mm. Although in my head, that's exactly what I was wanting to do. What you want to do. It's amazing, actually, because we, we've spoken, um, as Justin said, we've spoken to a couple of players now, uh, even even as far back as Luther Blissett. Yeah. Uh, and and, the, and the, the, the same thing comes out when you talk to players about Graham Taylor. He always wants to know about you as, a, as an individual and what you want. And it, you know, that's that speaks volumes of the man. I think, and but I think I think it's really important because when we look back on the squad and the players we have, interesting one. It's Robbo's birthday today. It is, and yeah. We've got a WhatsApp group, and probably to a man, everybody in the Wembley games messaged Robbo today. How Amazing. are you doing? Amazing. Amazing. Um, well yeah, but it it was what he was trying to build. Graham was it was that team that had we united off the pitch as well as on it and they, yeah. it, it was making sure that there was a real team ethic where you win as a team and unfortunately towards the the end of his tenure at Watford that's probably what got lost with some of the bigger signings and certainly when money started coming into it how did the kind of double signing if you like of you and Alan Smart happen <laughs> well it, it strange but I didn't know anything about Smart even speaking to Carlisle and uh, sorry, speaking to Watford when he was at Carlisle. So when I was at um, Carlisle, I used to live in Warrington so I could, I'd travel up to um, Carlisle for training, 122 miles. Oh, that's still a fair old joint, isn't it? Way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You go through, go through every season on the way up. It'd start out <laughs> rain, raining in Warrington. You'd be at a bit of sunshine somewhere. There'd be snow in Shap and then you'd get to Carlisle that could be anything. But I'd, I'd pick up, Smarty and Preston and I pick up another striker near Morecambe called Ian Stevens. And it, it was brilliant because we'd sit in the car and we'd talk about how good strikers were and like all the flair and things we did and then slag off defenders for like getting a round of applause for kicking it into Rosette and that kind of thing. <laughs> It, it, but it was brilliant humour because it was like you'd beat three people and hit the post and get booed and then somebody would hurl it over the stadium as a defender and get, yeah, you're brilliant. So <laughs> yeah. that, that was the sort of makeup of our car journey most days. <laughs> so I got, I got to know Smarty and we got to know each other well, sort of made good friends, we're good friends. Um, but we also found that our play worked really well together. Right. Um, yeah. So he liked to play with his back to goal. I liked to run in behind. We just developed an understanding. So it worked really nice. I used to like playing when Smarty was in the team. Didn't know he'd spoken to Graham. Then all of a sudden it was announced that I think Smarty actually signed just before me. Right. Yeah, he did. Uh, I was going to say, I think he signed before you. Yeah. Yeah, the week before. But I'd not even, I didn't even know he was in talks with them. And then I, I came down. Once I'd spoken to Graham, that my decision was made. I wanted to come to Watford. Um, we agreed where I could live because I wanted to live as far north as I could. Uh, <laughs> we were still up in Derbyshire and like I like to get home and sort of. I've always liked to get back to normality where if you went out in Watford, you were like the footballer and the yeah. pe people want to speak to you as the footballer. If I went back to my hometown, which was a place called Ripley in Derbyshire, it I was, was out with right. the people yeah. who I've known since I was yeah. at school. Yeah. And that, that was what I really liked, just getting away and being able to do that. Okay, so it wasn't um, actually, in effect, a double signing because Alan went first and then you signed about a week later. Yeah, I don't think it was a double signing, but it was... Or in the same summer, not much time in between. One of the things I really remember about it, it was, it was funny because I think it bothered my dad a bit more than me. That so, I think in the Observer, somebody had put had a go at the manager saying, like, we've got promoted and you're showing no no um, ambition. You've signed two. I can't think <laughs> of the derogatory words, but it's two something from Carlisle. Or, yeah. Well, like, look how that backfired, eh? <laughs> yeah. yeah and it, 
it was something I, I know my my dad had cut the clip at uh, like and kept the article but interestingly after Wembley another fan had responded to that to whoever it was the boys the no marks from Carlisle did okay didn't they or something like that <laughs> yeah they did very well I would they say did very, they did very well, well. very well What's um what's your just going back to Graham a little bit? Have you have you got anything that sort of stands out with regards to something he said to you? I'm not talking about signings or anything like when he signed, but you know something that you've always got, got with you that maybe even at the the playoff final afterwards. I I, I don't know what's uh... uh. There's a few things that resonate. Um, one of the first that probably made the biggest impact. Of, I suppose there's a couple of things. One thing's happened by accident because at the start I was playing in the hole behind strikers and yeah. it was a bit of a luxury position and then one game we were away I can't remember where it was even at right early in the game I went out and played on the right hand side of midfield and did it well and worked up and down and from then on that became the luxury role in the hole was binned and I was like that's where I was playing that's but where you're going yeah what, one of the really uh, thing that sits with me he used to have a saying called trap the back post so as a wide midfield player what he thought was criminal was if a cross came in from the left hand side and the ball got past the back post if in if you weren't on there right. and yeah. I got a couple of goals one I remember at home to crew where without that, I wouldn't have scored. So quite often in football, you'll see a, a wide a wingman staying out on the wing when the ball's on the other side and yeah. looking for a crossfield pass or switching the play, when actually you're not really impacting the game. And so it was, OK, make make that additional striker. And so if you've got your two strikers, and I think that's how we ended up with a three-pronged attack because they could get in onto the far post and support either Tommy or Michelle at the time or Gifton. But it was trap the back post, don't let the ball get past. One game, I let it get past. And that was probably the <laughs> biggest got it. I got. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was as simple as that was a goal. You should have scored. Like, you should have been there. Yeah, yeah. That, that was a goal. You've just missed a goal. And I'm like, whoa. So yeah, you, you don't let that happen. No. The the other bit which I really liked with Graham was it was people always ask me about whether he had a long ball and he didn't. He liked direct football, but he used to have the thing about position of maximum opportunity. And one of the things he first said was, if you look at a football pitch, either 90% of goals are scored in an arc from like the corner of the six-yard box to the edge of the 18-yard box in an arc. So stats show, if you don't put the ball in there, you don't score. Mm. And if I, if I liken it to when I was under Viali like later when I was injured and be able to watch if he'd have thought a bit more like that we might have won more games instead of getting 80% possession and never scoring Yeah, because it was like keep the ball for the sake of keeping it but there was never really any plan whereas Graham's approach was pass forward whenever possible and when we can get the ball into that area and whether that's a long ball because it's on fine or if not we pass through and do it it was never I want you to whack it forward Mm. Um, just get the ball in there at the end yeah, but, but I, I like the idea that we've got players who could play long passes because I like to run in behind and mm. I thought I got sort of the legs on most people and sort of could keep up sprinting for quite a bit until I get knackered um, <laughs> but it, it worked really well um, the, the other thing was it became a bit of a joke but I get subbed quite a lot late in the games for being knackered it, it was one of those where my view was you give everything you possibly can and my game was high energy it was yeah. always sort of trying to have sprints lots of running and the view which I'm sure Graham shared was rather than sort of pacing yourself over the 90 minutes and giving an okay performance he'd rather me run and be run into the ground and after 75 need a sub, something yeah. like that and yeah it, it's something that still resonates with me now and I think there's a lot of people who I get really frustrated for watching football who come off they've not even got a sweat on mm, and yeah. yeah we're suffering with that at Vicarage Road at the moment we are very much yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> lots of teams are and you can look right to the top level and you've got some fantastic players who come off as though they've not they've not left a little set Marshall's probably the, one of the biggest culprits at the moment incredibly talented but runs around a sort of yeah just an area yeah, yeah, a tiny area. And for me, it's the, I knew that I wasn't always going to have great games, but if I could come off knowing I'd given everything and tried everything... Sweating buckets, it's, yeah. One, it's a respect for yourself, but it's also how you build up the sort of rapport with the fans because yeah, yeah. they know that 
no you matter what, him. you're going to give everything. There's never anything going to be left on the pitch. Is yeah. that why you were subbed in the match at Birmingham, uh, the semi-final second leg? You didn't take I a penalty, subbed, did you? I think, did I play it? It was right to near the end, about 70... I don't know how long I got into it, to be fair. Yeah, so it's about 10 minutes for the end, wasn't it? If I, I don't know, because there was extra time as well. Oh, there it? was extra time. Yeah, yeah there yeah, was yeah, extra course, time, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know that I, I said I'd fancied taking a penalty, but I think I was about sixth or seventh, but it was never <laughs> going to happen. No, um, but, no, um, that yeah, a... it, that, that was a weird game. But one, one game, the little bit before we got onto the playoffs, was um, played at home to Sunderland, and they were fantastic. Sid, they'd got some decent players at the time. Kevin Ball was running the midfield. Yeah, Kevin and, Ball, yeah, remember him. Um, was that the one where Gifton got injured? The one... that, yeah, Gifton got injured in that game, didn't he? Well, Gifton scored in the game. It might have been the game he got injured as well. Yeah, yeah, I he think scored it that was, half yeah. volley. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I played up front with Gifton that tight game and Tony Daly played on the right. Yeah. I ended up scoring a header, Gifton scored. Did we win 2-0 or 2-1? I think it was, yeah. yeah. At the end of the game, I'm knackered. I've run into the ground and I made it to the end of the game and at the end of the game I'm in the centre circle and I was sick and I was uh, physically sick just with how much I'd run and oh, I was a little bit embarrassed about it and I was like oh shit like, shouldn't be sick like that. Um, the club got so many hundred messages the positive messages if if somebody's going to run that merch and be prepared to do that and I was like brilliant yeah there isn't there isn't enough of it about like and you, you know you just said that a bit ago we I don't know how much of Watford you see at the moment but um we, we, only we, TV stuff only yeah TV well stuff. You, you're probably quite lucky then at the moment to be fair and, and I don't want I don't want to belittle because we're in a good position but we, we're in a in a situation where we've got a new manager and and exactly what you said the ball doesn't go into the box enough and there's certain players within that team at the moment who are just you know dawdling around like they haven't got a care in the world and it to say it's frustrating the position that when you look at it on the league table great yeah fantastic but when you're actually watching it and me and Justin recently have been quite lucky in the sense we've been able to go back um you know we've waited so long to get back and the the second half I saw against Rotherham the other day I was like oh my god I want to go home boring very boring to be fair to to the manager I think when at the start of the season he'd got a really really tough gig because you've got a load of people already said I don't want to be here. Yeah. I want to be touted out for moves. And they were your bigger players. And some of them moved on. So, I, I don't know, about 20 million for Decore. And yeah. sort of, there was a 14 million as well, wasn't there? Suarez was about 6 million. But you've got a few players who wanted to move on who didn't. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Kapu, um, Dini was obviously looking to get Saw. out. and yeah. Saw, definitely. And then you're in a really difficult position because you're starting the season with a team that is missing all of probably your main players who are trying to get for moves. So you've got you've got a really strange dynamic. And I thought some of the results they got at the start were really good and you've just yeah. got to get the results. What seems to happen or seem to happen is we've now got players back in and so obviously Sar stayed, Dean is back fit, but whether he's as fit, I don't know. Um, the style of play hasn't really kicked on with the squad of players we've got. Some of the players who I thought would have been sort of top performers this season. I know Hughes had the illness or injury at the start of the season, but for me, I thought he'd be running the midfield in most of the games. Um, Potentially could be one of the best players in that division, I think. He he sees a pass. If you see, at the moment, I don't know where that creativity is. You've got Saar, who could be fantastic, but probably inconsistent. But other than that, as a striker, I wouldn't know where where I'm going to get a goal created from. And I think that shows you've got, 22 goals from 18 games or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah a few one nils and, and the games we have scored against they were they were playing a right winger at left back weren't they or something so, yeah <laughs> yeah the other thing as well i think it shows the massive gulf for the prem because without really improving the defense we've gone from yeah. getting battered to only conceding 12 goals now it's probably a very lucky 12 goals there should have been quite a few more than that however yeah, yeah. Still 12 goals. But yeah, it's something where fans don't want to see a boring 1-0 win. They no. want to see a team creating chances. They want to see goals coming from all over the pitch. They want to see excitement. They want to see people going past players or great passes. I don't see that in the current squad. Very much yeah. like when you were playing, Nick. That's the sort of football that you were playing under Graham Taylor. We, we, were, pl- we were young. We were hungry. We didn't know how good we could be or we were. And mm. what was great is... I went onto the pitch with 
like-minded individuals who were all trying to do the best they possibly could. There were no big name players who were like, none, none, of, the, none of the team were talking to their agent to tout them around or right. anything like that. It okay. was, we were going to try and win together. It's very different. I think a couple of years ago, the squad had been playing some incredible football. Mm. And, and at times when we had Decor and Capu in midfield, some of the football that was being played through was great with Hughes as well. But yeah, it, it seems to be a lot different this year, whether it's the style of play that the manager's looking to implement or whether it's just the players that we currently have at our disposal. There's no real investment with any of the funds that was bought in. Um, desperate for a, a decent centre forward for me, who would be your 20 goaler. Um, you, you look at like a Brentford where you've got Tony scoring. I think he's a brilliant signing. Yeah, Brentford have got there. Brilliant signing, yeah. Got an athletic goal scorer, good in the air, strong, fast. You'd love one of those, wouldn't you? Yeah, we would definitely. Yeah. Going back no, to would. the uh, the ninety eight ninety nine season, was there um, a mindset that right we are going to go for a promotion? There, there has to be a mindset individually. I think from when I signed, I certainly asked and made sure there was a promotion bonus in my. In my <laughs> well played. Uh, yeah, well I'm really fortunate that I did because <laughs> the win bonus for winning at Wembley, I think, was. About 1,500 quid a man. Was it? <laughs> Is that all? We got 1,500 quid, I think. Wow. Blimey. See, it's those little things you don't think or hear about, yeah. do you? It's crazy. I, I got a little bit more in my in my contract, which is fortunate. So my kids can still eat now. Yeah. Good. Um, Good. That's the main thing. At the start of the season, was we saying, right, we're going to go for promotion? I don't think it was like, oh, we're ever going to get promoted. I think it was, we're not quite sure. Um, right. I know at the start of the season... Um, I'd had a good pre-season. Um, there was only myself, Smarty. I think Dean Yates also came, who oh, I'd known previously Dean from the yeah, yeah. Top player, but really plagued by injuries. Weren't really quite sure how good the team was, to be fair. Um, I know the first three games of the season, I wasn't even in the 14. Disappointed, I'd played well in pre-season. I was pleased. And I ended up playing a reserve game, scored. And at that point... I'd sort of, I knocked on the manager's door. A few people tried to put me off and said, no, you don't do that. But <laughs> when, I, when I had contract negotiations and when I spoke to him, I, I'd said to the manager, if I'm good enough and if I'm playing well enough, will I be playing? He said, yeah. So I knocked on the door and said, look, when, when I came to speak to you, you said, if I'm playing well enough, I'll be in the team. I've had a good preseason. I've played now in the Rizzies a couple of games, scored, and you've not picked me. And he just said, oh, OK, thanks thanks for coming in. Gave me nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Where do I stand now? Yeah, um, he put me in the, he put me in and we played away at Huddersfield, I believe it was. Playing in the hole behind the front two. I was rubbish. We were rubbish. We got beat 2-0. What? Just after I'd knocked on the door. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah you proved no, yourself there. Oh, yeah. Oops. <laughs> at that point, I thought, look, he might... It could quite easily just like left leave me out the squad for a while, but mm. kept me in for the next game, which was home to QPR, local game, big rivalry. Uh, they'd got Vinnie Jones at the time, and oh, right, uh, yeah. I ended up having a decent decent game. I had a couple of chances. Um, I got Vinnie Jones booked. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, and then I got man of the match at the end of the game, and uh, first home game, and. I stayed in for pretty much the rest of the season after that, but it's a time when he could quite easily have sort of left me out after that yeah. first game, but he didn't. And that's that's another thing where I think he was so astute as a manager. Mm. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. I mean, one one thing that I, I didn't realise, and I, I don't want to go into sort of a, a depressive side of it, I didn't realise how, I don't want to say little games, that you actually played. <laughs> and I don't know if that's to do with the, the fact that you really only broke through, as you said, when you were 21, yeah. uh, and then obviously injuries as well. They were all within such a short period of time, to be fair. So from the breakthrough, I went to Carlisle, as I say, it was November, end of November, which would meant I would be in... Carlisle for December so for the last part maybe last six months of the season I ended up playing 27 games and for Carlisle which was most of the games I missed one or two through injury something like that when I signed down for Watford I missed the first couple of games and and I think I ended up playing about 38 that season or something like that maybe a couple of sub yeah I got onto the injuries which was I was playing with an injury at Wembley that nobody knew about which well, I was going to well, I was going to come to that I yeah, read about we... this was it a, a hip injury a piece of bone on your hip well, or something it was it's <laughs> so it's a piece of bone came off my pelvis oh. um 
called an, an avulsion fracture. Dead simple. I can remember the moment I was in, we were in training in the week before Wembley and in the time between the semi and the final. And I went to shoot and Micah High clipped me from behind and I took an air shot. So where you're expecting the force, the ball, it didn't, leg went through and oh, it just something just pulled. And it's normally where you could pull a groin muscle or something like yeah. that, but it didn't feel like that. It's where the tendons connected to the pelvis and without knowing it had pulled a piece of bone off. Oh. Now, <laughs> something wasn't quite right. So I was like in dilemma because all I'd wanted to do from being a kid was playing playing a cup Play final. Yeah, yeah. However, there was no way I could let my teammates down if I was injured. So I was, I was fortunate I'd got, a few stockpiled large anti-inflammatory tablets and that type of stuff. Um, I just did my own fitness test where I went out sprinting. Could I sprint? Could I take a couple of these like horse tranquilizers? And, <laughs> and, and I could. It were, There wasn't any adverse effect on my sprinting or anything like that. Um, so carried on with training. And then it was only in the close season that I was like, mm, I think I'd gone on holiday straight after the final. I was in Cyprus and I was swimming and still didn't feel right. So I came back, saw the physio, we got it checked out and it was what they call an avulsion fracture. Wow. It's even more remarkable when you think about the actual goal that you scored at Wembley. Uh, like the, the, yeah, the, it clearly didn't impact that too. It certainly didn't. It certainly yeah. didn't. We're going to get on to, to, the, to the playoff final. Now, we've beaten Birmingham City in the semi-finals on penalty. Yeah. Take me now into the camp. So before, obviously, your, your, your injury, what's, what's the confidence level going into that game? I mean, big final at Wembley. If I just skip back to the Birmingham game, I think that yeah, helps with it because Birmingham had got big-time players and sort yeah, of yeah. well-known players. And we were so confident that we would beat Birmingham. And at yeah. home, we outplayed them. I know, I know we only went... Yeah, one. I was there. Yeah, yeah. I, I was too. I, I was had there. a lob. I think he hit the bar, tried to lob the keeper, yeah. but we should have won more than one. We sort of went to Birmingham and it's the most hostile atmosphere I've ever experienced as a fan or as a player. You're not yeah. wrong there. Incredible. You're not wrong there. We're warming up across the pitch. I remember being spat at off the side oh of the pitch. Oh my God, right. Jesus. You got, you got like middle-aged ladies swearing at you and I'm like, what? What's <laughs> going on here? I was used to taking a bit of stick for being ginger and like having dodgy hair. <laughs> but when you've got like people who you didn't expect it to, oh, it was loud. Mm, and yeah. the start they got off to after a couple of minutes, yeah, wow, two minutes it in, was yeah, incredible. yeah. Then it, it just showed sort of togetherness of the team to get through something like that because a lot of teams would have buckled after two minutes. Yeah. And it could quite easily have been a three or four nil Birmingham. Watford's never even spoken about, but there was a lot. The team were resolute defending. Alec Chamberlain had an incredible game. It was one of those. We're just not going to lose. We're not going to let it happen. And some of the penalties, if you watch them again, as good as they seem, were very close to being misses. (laughs) (laughs) Squeaky bum time. Yeah. Yeah, And I've seen pictures. I'm on the sideline for the penalties and I'm praying and I'm doing anything. Then we all sprint off and sort of shirts off into the crowd. Amazing. Yeah, it was brilliant. Um, When we got to the final... Again, we were incredibly confident. Bolton had got some big-name players, but they didn't have what we had within the camp. And I think, although you've got sort of probably Scandinavian internationals, you've got Good Jonsson, Klaus Jensen, Mark Fish. Fish at Neil, the back. Neil Cox. Ricardo yeah, Gardner, Cox, yeah. Coxie. <laughs> Thank God um, he's as tall as he is. <laughs> yeah, they, got, they got a proper strong team, but yeah. we fancied ourselves. And like in the tunnel before the game, one team was going to win the game because we were incredibly loud. We were in the face and they were looking around. They weren't quite sure what to expect. They weren't quite sure what we were all about, but... Yeah, we, we really fancied that. They found well, out, I, didn't they? They found I, out. I'll tell you something. When we went down to Wembley, I always remember that. Bolton were, were down there quite early, I assume, because of the, the, the distance. So, we you know, we haven't got far to travel. So, we, we turned up in, in Wembley and it was already full of Bolton Wanderers fans in the pubs and, and everything beforehand. Now, bearing in mind, I was, I, I'm going to show my age here, but I was, uh, I just left school. So, I was 16. <laughs> I was 24. During that game. <laughs> Anna Lager on the go, enjoying the day out. And the Bolton fans were adamant. The Bolton fans were adamant they'd already won that game. And I, I, I said to this one guy, you're going to regret that. Mm. You're going to regret saying that and skipping 
forward we come out of the ground now eighty thousand people there's no chance i'm going to bump into that guy again he was in he was sat in a boat or a wimpy or something like that like that on the table <laughs> as he said and i banged on the window bang, 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 bang. <laughs> outside of this you know because they were so confident and i think leeds made the same mistake when we went to cardiff in a in, a, in another playoff yeah. they they'd already thought they'd won that game I, th- that was- I think i did the commentary at cardiff for that game Oh, did you? Oh, did you? Okay. The, I was, uh, I, I've got to be honest, I was very drunk for that game. I well, don't remember if you came out for this it. Was... I know had a couple before the commentary. <laughs> <laughs> but this was the first time that Watford had won a final at Wembley. This hadn't happened before. Yeah. It was only the yeah. second time we'd been at Wembley, and this is the first yeah, time we'd ever been. won a final. So this was this was history. Yeah, yeah, it was absolutely fantastic. I remember the day, clearly. I was right up the other end oh. when you scored that goal, though. I had a terrible view of it, Nick. I didn't get to see it until I got home, because I had a really dreadful view of it. Oh, but obviously... We- we're on the halfway line and I, I, it went in slow motion. The yeah. whole thing went in slow motion because it just seemed to take an age just to loop over. But So we get the corner. Peter Kennedy, um, who is going to come, don't want to spoil too much, but will also be on the podcast hopefully very very soon, whips in the corner. Now, I don't know if you practice set pieces during your your time at Watford. What what's the, what's the play here? What's Nick Wright thinking when that ball comes over? Oh. The, the play was that I was always going to be for second phase. Now, yeah. the manager is very much with tactics about what's happening. So we would have, we weren't really a big side. We'd got Page and Palm centre half, oh, yeah. neither, neither above six foot, really. Um, so we weren't really that strong in the air. Tommy was strong in the air for his height, but he wasn't particularly tall. Yeah. So we weren't really good at set pieces, to mm. be honest. So mm. we would have the first phase, which would be, Pagian, who Michelle, who wasn't bad in the air, to be fair, would attack the ball. And I was for second phase, which is either a flick on or what next. Yeah. So I was randomly sort of probably start out just beyond the back post, um, waiting for the next bit. And it, it was purposeful. It's very rare you get marked there because everybody gets sucked into the first ball. Yeah. Um, great delivery from Peter right under the crossbar. There's a defensive header out. Andy Todd, I think. Um, If you lose the ball at that point, you're like, the other team are likely to break away because all of your defenders are in the goal or wherever they are. So, but I don't, I don't remember too much other than it's an instantaneous reaction, sort of spontaneous decision to write the balls up in the air. Let's try and get something on it. Contact on it. And, (laughs) Um, bicycle kicks, you don't don't, don't practice. You practice as a kid. They hurt a bit, so you don't really practice anymore. (laughs) It's more just with the technique of every other practice. It's a volley. You keep your eye on the ball. You try and get into the best possible position body shape-wise. It's just uh, overhead kick is slightly more dynamic in that, that you've got to time it. And when they come off, they're amazing. Quite often they don't. I made good contact. Uh, Lots of people... There's a slow a still image of the shot that makes it look like it came off my shin. Never. No way. Never. No, no not way. having it. It, no. it couldn't have got it. No. I mean, it was a postage stamp it when he'd see. Coxie, is, he could have had another 12 goes at trying to get his head on it. It just, yeah. it hit that, just that perfect I knew I'd, goal. I knew I'd hit it well and I'm on the floor and I think Alan Cosy had done a couple of pictures. I'm slow. So I'm looking, trying to look between legs and under legs to see where the ball had gone and to see it nestle in the far top corner. And at that moment, I'm like up and I'm off. And um, yeah, you ran I right. Away. <laughs> I managed to get away. Uh, I think I got near the halfway line, and Robbo nearly finished my career. Then <laughs> rugby, <laughs> rugby tackled me. I went down, and then I just remember being on the floor, lay flat on my back. And Gongi said, "Nikki, Nikki, we love you. We love you." And oh, I think brilliant. he must have. Had- he must have had a promotion bonus in there as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you watch the slow motion of that goal, it, 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 it then pans to Graham Taylor and you watch him mouth the words, that's in. That's in, yeah. That's Just it. as it leaves your foot, he, he mouths, that's in. Yeah. I, I, I think I might have said to you in the past, Carla, I, I struggle to remember a lot of Watford goals. I know that we won games and I can't remember. That goal will never, ever be forgotten. Anyone who was no. there, anyone who watched it on TV... It- it's an argument to say, so Watford, in my opinion, there's obviously special goals throughout the thing, but the, the ones that we talk about in recent history is the, is the Troy Deeney one against Leicester, that I goal. I was doing the commentary for that as well. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Oh, right. You well, must we do more commentary for us then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll sack Tommy Mooney off. You're in, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 
Tommy Mooney gone and get you in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that goal with 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 Troy, and then there's the Nicky Wright goal, and and I and I'm talking about special special. I mean, that, your goal at Wembley uh, as a as a 16 year old uh, is just something that will never leave me, and that's how that's how special it was. And then when we when we said you know look, Nicky Wright's coming on the on the podcast, it's just it brings back so many emotions and the whole day. It's just it. I, I don't know if you actually realise how special it is, and it, and that's how amazing it is for for a football fan that, and the, the responsibility that footballers can have on people's lives. I, I know that sounds crazy, but that that is how special it is. It change, it's life changing. It's like it's something you'll take to your to my grave. Same as Justin. It's definitely it's yeah, incredible. I I appreciate it. I appreciate that I was that I've been incredibly fortunate to have a moment like that. You get a lot of players who don't. I was once asked whether I'd rather have played fifty. 15 years in sort of the lower professional leagues than do that. And I was not a chance. No, I would say that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Obviously looking back on my career, the injuries killed it. And my career had got better and better. So I went from youth team to reserves to playing in league two, to playing in the championship and managed a few games in the Prem, although struggling with injury. Um, I'd never quite know how good I could have got to. Mm, I yeah. was still really ambitious and wanting to be as good as I could. And I, I was still massively improving. But I was so fortunate to have that. And when when you say the sort of the impact, I know following the game there was two kids who were named Nick and Nicky after me, a boy and a girl. So I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it, no doubt crazy. about that. Yeah, crazy. no doubt about that. So I mean, obviously, then we've had the the win at Wembley. You must have been then looking forward to a Premiership season uh, with Watford. Pr- pretty much, yeah. Like after Wembley was in- incredible. Like the amount of sort of press coverage and different things. I did Soccer AM, went on the BBC, did loads of newspaper things, which was incredible. But then, obviously, I found out I got the injury as well. And it was, oh, okay, just rest um, and it'll be fine in the pre-season, which was okay. But what I found was when I came back for pre-season, I was struggling with my groin, which Mm -hmm. was linked to probably the pelvis injury. And I played a few games, but ended up needing a hernia operation. Right. And almost certain that it was linked to the to the pelvis injury, playing with that and that type of thing. Mm. Um, When I was hoping to be playing right at the start of the Prem season, I wasn't, I was injured. Um, I came on a couple of times as sub. I played half a game at Man United and then... I knew I had to get it done because it, it wasn't right. I wasn't doing myself justice. So I had the earlier operation. Recovery was going brilliantly well. Felt strong, felt fit again. And I ba- actually got back into the first team for the... Uh, we played in the FA Cup at home to Birmingham. We actually lost 1-0, I think, um, in the FA Cup game. But I played and the manager bought me off after about an hour. And it was the only time I'd heard a Graham Taylor decision booed. Right. And he was probably doing it to protect me from like, first game back, that type of yep. thing. But mm, mm. I was having a decent game and the crowd didn't like the decision. Um, what actually happened, though, is following that game, um, there was a reserve game midweek and the manager asked me if I'd play to get some match fitness. It was at home to Coventry. Five minutes into that game, I collided with the goalkeeper and finished my knee. Wow. And that was a game... I didn't really need to be playing. I felt fit. I played an hour in the first team. Yeah, I collided with Steve Grizovic. Um Jesus Christ. He was still playing in 1999. How old was he? He's yeah. still playing now, isn't he? <laughs> he must be, must have been he was 50. Probably 40-ish, I think. Yeah. But he's still a bit bad. Um, he's a big boy, isn't he? Yeah, didn't know how bad it was at the time. I tried to play on and then I turned and my knee just crumpled. Um, the physio told me I would be out for initially three weeks. I'm a young player. I'm just listening to the advice and I was trying to get back fit. I was doing some runs on the training park and the physio was having a go at me for like not trying and I lost it because if there was one thing I could never be accused of, it was for not, not trying. trying. No, I yeah. just, it was then I got it looked at by the surgeon. They said, no, you need the operation straight away. They tried to get me back fit without an operation when it should probably have been assessed straight away. Um, yeah. After the first operation, it felt good again. However, they kept being swelling on the knee. So it was, let's go inside and have a look again. And after the second one, never felt the same again. Couldn't get my knee back to full flexion or extension couldn't get a sprint. So I went three years of desperately trying to get fit. First one into the training ground, do a weight session, a manipulation session, a running session, a ball session, go back to, I was living in Milton Keynes. I'd go back to the David Lloyd in Milton Keynes, do a swimming session. So fitness wise, I was incredible, but my knee was knackered. Oh, and just gone. that was 
that was the end. Um, I tried to play reserve games and I played, I think, one cup game in like a league cup, but I was never fit. Never fit. Oh, to play. Such a shame. It's terrible. Isn't it? I mean, what does, I mean, that sounds awful from, from my point of view, you know, from a, a, a somebody that the very start of their career just wanted to play football mm. to be then told, you know, was that conversation ever had? Was it told that yeah, you never. I, nobody ever told me you're finished. I said, I'm done. And I'm done. I think that's the one thing. If I look back, I'd signed a four year contract when we got promoted. The club were well within their rights within six months to say, right, you're done type thing. But I think there was, they were indebted slightly because they'd scored the goal that got them yeah. up. And, yeah. Um, all of the managers tried to support me to get fit. Ray Lewington was fantastic in terms of what do you need to do? I trained sometimes with the youth team, trained sometimes with the reserves. What what can we do for you? And Luke Anthony, who became the physio, was incredible. Um, the amount of work he put in was fantastic. It was just my knee was in a poor this. situation. Yeah, yeah. Well, it just wasn't. I'd had all the cartilage removed, the bones were damaged, so there was no protection on a on a knackered joint. So when it came to the end of the fourth year, I spoke to Luke and I said, "Look, it's not it's not getting better." And I spoke to the secretary at the time, and after I'd spoken to the manager and just said, "I need to finish." Like, were you still coming down and sort of training with the team and stuff, or were you? Yeah, so I was I was training. I was probably doing six days a week, three sessions a day. Um, some would be joining in with the team. Some would be separate, depending on how the knee reacted. If I played a reserve game, the knee would take a few days to settle down. Right. So it's a horrible period of time. Um, yeah, I can imagine. Making the decision to retire isn't that hard. The three or three and a half years is incredibly hard mentally. I'm, I'm fortunate. I, I, I sort of... I would class myself as mentally strong and yeah. needed to be to get through that because I'm seeing that there's no progress. Every week I'm getting fans coming, oh, I can't wait to have you back. And in my head, I know it's not happening. Oh. I've tried and tried and tried. And yeah. it, it's a really tough gig. Um, I actually went to see a surgeon, a guy called David Dandy, who's one of the top guys in the UK. And right at the start of when I was getting my knee checked out, he said, you better start looking for something else to do. And as a young player, I didn't want to listen to that. I was like, no, no chance. And when I got the injury, I was 24 just. Wow, that's so young. young. Was there enough support, not necessarily from Watford, but for players to come out of football and to go and do other things? Was there there stuff in play? Was there nothing? It was just all on you. There you go, mate. See you later. There was a few things. Initially, I'd been doing quite a bit of media work with BBC. I'd done a couple of things with Sky. I'd been in the studio and I spoke to Sky to see if there was any chance with that. I love doing that type of stuff. Sky were brilliant. They said, we love what you do, but you're not George Best. And they said, look, we need, at the time they got Best, Rodney Marsh. Yeah, yeah that type of person who were their experts and said as much as as much as you might be doing well when you do it wasn't that opportunity which I was really pleased because it meant right move on um, yeah. mm. the club offered me the chance to um, work with I think it was about the under 14s but it was one of those where I thought they felt obligated to offer me something mm. and it, yeah. I didn't want to be like a charity case I've seen other people who hang around the club for a long period of time and you don't really have a substantial role in the club and that that didn't appeal so I just thought right let's look at doing something different I was relatively smart at school Uh, I would have done university if I didn't go into football one of my teachers had a go at me for signing as an apprentice with Derby rather than going to university (laughs) well um, I'm glad you did (laughs) yeah Yeah. um, it's a really strange time and my my time post football has been quite weird I I ended up getting a job that I didn't really want I pretended to apply for a job and I ended up being offered a role running a, a phone Shop. Oh, yes. I think yeah. I remember hearing something about this. Yeah. yeah. It, it was bizarre. I went to an assessment day pretending to get a job. I didn't really want one. <laughs> uh, um, the next day, I got uh, a regional manager speaking to me saying, Look, uh, I want you to come and run one of my shops. And I was like, What do you mean? I've just played footy. And he said, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm an ex-professional footballer. Dad, you've explained to me what makes a, a team work and what components you need. He says, do that with a business team. And again, a bit of advice that said, fair enough, let's try it. Three months later, I'm phoning my mates who were still playing. I was phoning Smarty. I was in LA. I'd won a, an incentive to LA, <laughs> Oscars, for like having the best phone shop. And phoning my mates, oh, where are you? I'm in LA. I'm just you're living the life, and they're 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 at Exeter away. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just having a meal opposite Jennifer Aniston. But yeah, yeah. 
Where did it all go wrong? Yeah, yeah. Fair play, mate. Fair play. Yeah, but then um, I, I've gotten. I look after a learning and development team now. I've really been keen on coaching, and particularly in football coaching, what gets people to become better and manage to transfer that into business. Um, it, it's going well. I look after a team. I've got Good. about twenty-ish in my team now. Um, I like well, it. Fair, fair play, mate. I can't say fairer than that well well done to you because that takes a lot of um a lot of backbone and a lot of balls to get to to where you are you know from coming from a from a professional footballer and there's a lot of people that that probably wouldn't do that well so fair play thank you where's where's home now is it derby way that you're yeah i i I'm, so i grew up in derbyshire um i grew up grew up in a village called codner i live now in a place called darley abbey it's about a mile outside of the city center but it's it's lovely it's uh... I, I was just thinking if i ever got like a five side team again i could have a ringer but you're a bit <laughs> funnily enough i've just had another operation so i had five on my poor knee my good what i class as my good knees just given up the ghost now oh. compensating for the other one so Ooh. i've just had to have that um operated on so no more running now we were just um, we were talking to tony coat and he was telling us about some of the ex-luton lads who used to play on the plastic pitch they had oh yeah that must they're have all them. they're all suffering now they're all knees, ligaments, backs. they're all backs, everything. Yeah, he was saying it's really bad. We're having operations left, right, and centre. It's crazy. Mm. Not surprised. Yeah. yeah, yeah, grim. You're doing the um, the coaching these days. Uh, with the, and the business coaching that you're doing as well, is that something that you think you're going to be sort of doing now for for long term? Or yeah, so I, I work with Dixon's Car Phone. Um, I look after the colleague learning basically. Um, okay. So we have an academy which is for all new colleagues come into the store. So I have a team who look after that. I've got a team who look after all new products things. So like consumer electronics, computing, mobiles. So, so you can do us a deal on phones as well. Yeah, I was going to say I need an upgrade. I need an upgrade. I need an upgrade. Yeah. I enjoy it because it's fast moving and it's cool. It keeps me up to date with technology as well. It's never gonna, never gonna replace football, but I do a yeah. job that I enjoy, which is, which is something. That's something, mate. Absolutely, in this day and age, definitely. Well done. Yeah, and I still, still try to stick around sport. I still play cricket, play a bit of golf. I'm not too bad at cricket. Not, re- I'm reasonable at golf. What are you playing off on golf? Um, I play till about 18, um, but I'm not a member anywhere. My boys are a member at the local club. The plan is I play cricket until i can't run anymore like in those games and then i'll gradually deteriorate towards golf and yeah. stuff and but, snooker yeah. after that is it yeah no, i'm not <laughs> snooker's boring now <laughs> but then, uh, yeah still getting out love watching the horse racing and that type of stuff so fantastic stuff. fantastic stuff. nick thank you very much for giving us well over an hour of your time it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you um yeah thank you very much for being here yeah absolutely brilliant nick thank you so much and thank you for those memories and, and of course that goal thanks very much guys have enjoyed it sports social podcast network it's the 90th minute. All your mates around, you've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? <whistles> At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery free in terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.